You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. We'll talk on uh, the platform of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jamaah, and I can tell you, Mashallah, this evening, uh, Senior Attorney Ashraf Isop is uh, back and uh, with a powerful topic indeed. And uh, yeah, many of you may be thinking, what's the powerful topic? And he uh, discusses the illegal repercussions for having multiple passports. And I guess uh, you have all been uh, documented for sitting right close to your radios and Alhamdulillah, any other platforms that you're listening to us, audio streaming and so forth. And Alhamdulillah, there he is. Uh, let me welcome uh, you, the uh, pious and sagacious uh, listeners of uh, Marqa Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, with our senior attorney Ashrafi Supadeh. Hati, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, tell me, how are you doing uh, this fine, beautiful evening, Ashraf? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shafat, very well indeed, thank you. Uh, this is with the help and blessings of Allah that we enjoy good health and we don't have too many problems in life. Um, some of the problems that unfortunately face people almost on a daily basis uh, is sometimes unfathomable. Uh, you can't even, you know, sometimes get your head around it. I'm talking about issues of the cost of living, uh, the price of goods, there's petrol going up, there's unemployment. And, uh, you know, if you have, like I met a, a person uh, earlier on today at the gym, and he said he was four days without water. And when the water came, and this is not due to poverty or anything, this is a very wealthy man. This is some of the fallouts that we have from the load shedding, etc. I don't know, in Gauteng, we pretty badly affected with water cuts. But he said to me on the fourth day when the water came through the shower, what a blessing it was. So there you have it, Shabbat. Uh, we have very, very little to complain about and a lot to be grateful for. And I'm grateful for all of Allah's blessings uh, on me and those that are with me. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, well said the Ashraf and, uh, you know, the ayat of the uh, noble Quran, So which is it of the favors of your Lord will you deny? And the answer is a resounding and none. And, uh, you know, there was, I was talking to another uh, good colleague of mine and who's also a radio broadcaster. And we're talking about end times and end games and end, you know, what happens and so forth. If we are running short of uh, material, you know, we don't have uh, water, we don't have this. And he said, you know, Shafat, the best thing is, I grew up in a farm. I grew up with my grandfather and we used to harvest potatoes, onions, tomatoes in the farm. We were off the grid and, uh, you know, it was all done. We had the boreholes and so forth. And, you know, many people are investing in farms, Ashraf, and uh, perhaps uh, knowing that if I'm living in a, uh, you know, uh, in a uh, residential area or in a, uh, in a metro, uh, then I am uh, definitely going to feel the pinch when there's a uh, power crisis and the water crisis. But those uh, that are living on farms, uh, perhaps they will have it much easier. What's your thoughts on that? Shafat, my, my thoughts are guided by a very strong hadith of our beloved Nabi Wasallam, And he said that there will come a time that the man on the top of a hill with a few sheep and some land uh, will be the most protected. Now, I, I saw, I, think, I can't remember recently, there was a uh, expansion on that by somebody 
I think from the UK, and he's recommended to people to buy agricultural land. Now, you know, it doesn't sound very popular. Uh, people think, no, I'm, how I'm going to farm, where I'm going to farm, etc. I, on my uh, December vacation, I had occasion to visit a very close friend of mine, uh, ex-lawyer and ambassador to Saudi Arabia, uh, Mr. Peer, and he's bought a fantastic 10 hectares outside Gordons Bay. And I tell you, I visited him, uh, you know, there was no signs of luxury, but certainly signs of peace and tranquility. And he was growing his own uh, Moringa crops and other stuff. But he also showed me um, a kind of uh, barley that he said that uh, Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam ate uh, and made his bread with. So he was on a farm. There was no stress. Yes, there's power cuts. There's darkness. And another friend also on a small holding told me that during the power cuts, he and his wife sit on the stoop and they have I mean, they have grown up children, but they have long conversations in total darkness. So there are certain benefits uh, from, you know, all of these things. But definitely the benefit of living off the grid and owning a farm is first that the Rasul Sallallahu recommended it. So if we don't do it for any other reason than that. Secondly, we know that food security is going to be a problem. Um, and it's very simple. The knock-on effect from the, let's say, resources, non-renewable resources, um, is, is definitely going to be felt in the agricultural sector. Simple thing, the diesel that uh, we need, not to run our cars, but uh, to run the economy, specifically um, the farming, because the tractors and the farmers depend on diesel, Look, ESCOM is a good case in point. Without diesel, we can't generate emergency electricity. Uh, so apart from coal. So the farmers then would find that they are unable to use their machinery. And then that's going to be a breakdown of how they sow and reap their crops. Then how they transport their goods to the market. So the whole chain is affected by a collapse of fossil fuels. This, on some reports, is expected as early as 2040, which is not very long away. We have like 13 years, uh, sorry, 17 years, and um, a lot can happen. So that is good advice, first, because it was given by our beloved Rasul Sallallahu and then for our own safety and security going forward. Then, of course, the counter argument people put up, yeah, security, etc. But, you know, you can get a cluster of farms together and you can't see to that. The people that I know that live on farms and small holdings have no complaints that we, the city and urban dwellers seem to have. They seem to, to live with it completely. Of course, in this country, we don't have an agrarian background that was always the purview of the Afrikaner. And there's three things about him that you have to recognize that he loved the land, he knew how to work the land, and he was uh, growing the food for the people. So I think he had a very important position, but that's my comment on it. Jazakallah, Kate, for that, Ashraf. Also, my good friend, uh, Dr. Jamaluddin, 
then Newcastle has this massive farm and, you know, uh, besides having cattle and uh, sheep and, uh, you know, he has got the pecan uh, plantation and, uh, you know, he's gone to hemp, uh, hemp uh, production also, but uh, for medicinal uh, uh, reasons and so forth. Uh, but, uh, you know, he tells me that uh, they have to invest a lot on security. I mean, they got drones, they got the CCTV cameras, they got security companies, you know, the dogs are watching everything. And the same with the boor farmers. I mean, they are very high tech on uh, security and so forth. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of uh, thieving and a lot of stealing uh, takes place. But as you said, you know, uh, if, you, if you've got the right intentions and you go there, uh, the, the, the other side... Uh, effects or the benefits of uh, living on a farm is that you've got uh, me time and you've got that uh, everything that you're eating is organic and you know it's not all this uh, fast processed foods that you're taking in but uh, you know you you notice that many i know that uk there, there's many scholars that tell you now please uh, you know if you can afford it go back uh, to the mountains and go back to especially he says in pakistan there's the lovely mountains and so forth but if you look at pakistan and you look at uh, the uh, subcontinent issue there where India, you know, and Pakistan are always at loggerheads and then uh, they are fighting for resources also. He that controls, uh, you know, Kashmir has the right resource because water is the next war uh, the, uh, that's uh, that's taking place. Uh, they, uh, actually, now, I mean, you'll find that uh, talking that the scarcity of water and so forth, uh, Ashraf, perhaps a quick comment from you. Uh, no doubt. It is one of the gifts and enactments of Allah. Uh, but the surprising thing is, uh, Shafat, let me just bring something to your attention. From the day the earth was created, the same amount of water has been here. There hasn't been a water source from out of space, and there hasn't been evaporation. I mean, just get your head around that. Imagine that. From the day Allah created the earth, the water, that is the same mass of and volume of water. Of course, there's cyclical, um, there's cyclical seasons. And, and of course, we know from Surah Yusuf, there are seven years of drought and seven years of plenty, plentitude. But there's no doubt that the water resources of the world are challenged. And um, he who controls the water is going to be the king of the future. We already know that, say, the Middle East already, everything from the Nile to the Euphrates, uh, water source uh, is under pressure. Even uh, in Southern Africa, uh, you know, we had um, we had huge resources from Lesotho in the past, but now I don't I don't know if you recalled, but a few years ago, our dams were nearing nearing empty. So having water and looking after it is a very very important thing, and no doubt that the future wars will be over water. I, I can't doubt that because it's such a scarce resource, but not properly managed. I mean, you know, we speak of uh, the water being intact right down to the right, you know, uh, the, the last droplet. And it's amazing how the land interacts with the sea. The sea has salty water, evaporation occurs, it gets purified in the clouds. It then moves in and you have fresh drinking water for various uses over land. That is how Allah has created it. So there'll always be water, but there'll always be resource uh, scarcity.
Of course, you also know that uh, like electricity, water is a resource and the powers that be want to create a shortage so that they could sell it to you for the rest of your life. So again, there's an important element to recognize that um, there might be sufficient water resources for everyone, but there is always that commercial angle that influences how water, like electricity, uh, like food, is basically a controlled commodity, Shafat. No, Ashraf, that's a, a fantastic and a very brilliant point to bring in because I, I recall another senior, you know, retired principal talking to me about uh, that same phenomena uh, that you spoke about, where uh, you say every drop of water Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made, uh, you know, perfectly because it's the same uh, quantity of water you're getting over and over. But uh, the, 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 the water that is being polluted, uh, Ashraf, you know, for... And, uh, you know, mankind, perhaps uh, uh, the environment reacts to what we as insan do because we are the vicegerents of uh, Allah on this earth. And uh, maybe the water, uh, or we do have the same amount of water, but maybe a larger percentage is polluted. Ashraf, thoughts? Yeah, I know that's true. There's no doubt that we've been absolutely reckless. If you look at the water resources uh, that are being abused, including the sea, um, you know, there's plastic pollution, there's oil pollution, there's um, effluent, there's all the rivers that are being polluted, the air that is being polluted. And it again, it looks like, you know, complete recklessness by uh, the commercial side of life. Um, apart from that, um, you know, there was a brilliant show in, in the US about how the water resources were being poisoned by these big companies. And, um, you know, the a, a paralegal basically decided to fight for the entire city. But just trying to prove that this big company was polluting the freshwater resources in that area, including the ground, was a mammoth task. So again, you know, when you put your face against this, you must understand that it's going to be a battle. And it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of will and resources. But it, it was, it's a true story. It's called Ellen, Ellen Brockovic. And it really gives, gives you a lot of courage to see that even single people, in this case, a single mum, uh, stood up to these giants. But again, you know, people get away with impunity, uh, resources they don't have, uh, even in our coastline. The coastline has been threatened repeatedly, and there's a lawsuit called SLAP, S-L-A-P. Now, what happens is these massive mining companies, they litigate you out of the ground. So they exhaust you litigation because they've got huge purses. And these people were fighting for the rights of the uh, local inhabitants at the coastline. So again, you know, we're talking about the power of resources uh, the recklessness of pollution and the rehabilitation of these things, which is almost impossible at the end of the day when it's poisoned to that extent. Um, in fact, I read somewhere that the, I think it was the Euphrates River in Iraq that was drying up at a tremendous rate. And, uh, and that has consequences for people. And obviously, you know, you see rivers like the Nile, that is a massive water source for hundreds of thousands of people along the 
the uh, banks, but also for the fish and marine life. So, you know, it all has an impact. But unfortunately, uh, it doesn't appear that big corporations seem, you know, have a conscience about this. Um, I mean, it takes a little uh, girl from uh, from uh, Scandinavia, Greta Thunberg, to, to bring the world's attention to the future being in jeopardy. And they're saying it's their future, which is quite right. They're young people and that they've been given a polluted world and their plea is for us to stop. But these are, these are issues that we unfortunately have very little say over, um, including our local sources of water. You know, Shafat, there's a lot of chemicals in, uh, in the municipal water that we drink. Uh, again, we have very little control over that. What we can do is try and ourselves and, uh, you know, live by the code not to, say, not to waste water to always be conscious of its blessing and its use and 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 to be uh, to be spendthrift with how we deal with it and obviously always because we do wudu five times a day uh, to be mindful when we're doing that you know oh you do you know shafat you can actually do wudu from a cup of water mm. you don't need a running tap because uh, it's really truly a waste you know e- even the movements in between when we, like saying, doing masao, we're changing from one position to the other. There's a lot of water wastage. Eh? Let's hope, inshallah, we can also make some efforts to preserve this precious commodity, and which is a blessing. Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes uh, I find individuals in the wadhukana, uh, you know, the way they're washing and the water is running. And I told him, I said, brother, uh, you know, when I go up to them, I said, this is not the river Ganges uh, that, you, you know, you're jumping in and you're having a shower or a bath here. <laughs> this is, uh, I mean, you need to uh, respect Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in a, a very, uh, you know, in, in a climate where there was no water made us aware of how to, you know, use water. But use it, but don't abuse it. But uh, unfortunately, uh, Ashraf, when you have, and people get angry when you bring up the issue with them. And it said, you know what, don't, uh, you know, indulge to such a... Uh, in, in such a manner that, uh, you know, you're depriving others of the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's uh, being uh, rather very selfish. And uh, whilst we, you, you were talking about uh, pollution, and I know uh, the spiritual man that you are, and I thought about, uh, you know, the, the environment getting uh, polluted. But how toxic are human beings uh, that, you know, with the actions that they make, uh, you know, the Mother Nature react to them in, in certain manners. But the... Uh, level of uh, human beings becoming more toxic as the years go on. Is that a factor, Ashraf? Look, I believe so. You know, there is a saying that uh, yesterday was a better day than today because of uh, the extent and I would say the rapid progression or degression of uh, human beings. Um, you know, there's so many issues, Shafat. You know, at the same time, you could be higher than the angels or lower than the animals. And all of this comes back to one basic element, I would say, which is taqwa. Having taqwa will make you that conscious human being. Whether you're driving a car or whether you're wasting water 
or whether you're harming the environment. I mean, when you look at the car and you think, you know, all of us, you have vehicles, single use, you know, one driver, and we're pouring all these things into the atmosphere. Now, the question is, what can you do about it? If you take out a bicycle and, and ride, first of all, you'll be the laughing stock. Second of all, depending on your profession, I mean, I can't imagine a doctor or a lawyer uh, with all their books and computers trying to ride to work. Third of all, in this country, we're not made, it's not made for bicycles. You're, a, you, you, are, you are either, you're gonna get attacked or you're gonna get ridden over. So there's very little you can do to improve it. But if you have a conscience as you have, as you pointed out to this man, don't waste the water. That is guided by an inner strength and an inner belief, which is very, very important. And perhaps we should speak about these things from the member. Because remember, Shabbat, in the context of wudu, the wudu is a preparation to meet your Lord in your prayer. Now, if you're chatting or you're unmindful about the water, and you, then, then your wudu and its value is already diminished. But to come back to what is it that insan has to, you know, do, I can only think of one thing, and, and, and that is taqwa. Taqwa means that you are conscious of your Lord. So they say there's three things. Um, you must behave as if Allah sees you. And then if you forget, then remember Allah has seen you. So, so that is... That that is basically the life's transaction, you see, uh, uh, and 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 basically, that that will kind of instill in you different values. So you won't be a threat or a menace to yourself or to the your surroundings, your neighborhood, or to what Allah has given in natural creation. You know, you you'll you'll have a balance, Shafa. Now, getting to that situation or getting to that firm belief is is okay on your own but i believe that you are strengthened in the jamaat that's why the farzaras uh, should always be held in jamaat because the jamaat is what keeps you together is is what is is what we're doing now you see, we're talking about these things, and there's a jamaat. There's there's a, a audience of our beloved listeners that are listening to us, and they will take from this. No, absolutely, Ashraf. And uh, you know, there's another point. Uh, you know, taqwa, as you talk about, and uh, you know, real taqwa will lead to refined disposition, and that ayat of the Quran. Wallahu alimun hakimun. Allah is all knowing, all wise, and you get the reality of Allah watching over you because your level of taqwa has reached uh, that, uh, you know, the proximity where you can feel Allah and you can feel Allah, you know, much closer to you than your jugular veins. And perhaps, you know, uh, you can see people's refined disposition in spirituality by their behavior, Ashraf. Yeah, you can see definitely. You know, uh, and, 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 I, and I probably encountered this a lot uh, in two places that I obviously Makkah, where uh, you could actually perceive the light from the man. And once I had occasion when I was in Morocco, 
uh, in a tent in a desert where there were zikr gatherings. And as each tribe came from the desert and joined it, it was absolutely amazing to see how many people had light flowing from them. I must tell you, that was a, a stage to reach because you knew they had simple but enriching lives. They didn't have a sophisticated knowledge of how the atom works, etc. But they knew Allah. And uh, I mean, they had reached, in my view, because I could, I, I still remember seeing the face and the light pouring from these people. So yeah, you can. The Quran also says that you, um, you know, you recognize them by their marks. I uh, know not Quran, let me be clear. You, re you will recognize them by their marks. There's a marks of prayer on the person, you know. Um, if not on the forehead, definitely on the legs, because you can see the amount of uh, times that he set or he's, uh, she set. But there's no doubt that these are the, the lights that um, keep, I think, um, keep the mercy of Allah pouring onto people. Had it not been for these Oliya and Salihin, I think Allah would have wrapped up the universe long ago. Alhamdulillah, a lot of Allah's friends in the dunya that do good work and uh, bring people onto the straight and narrow and uh, the introspection that takes place, alhamdulillah. And it's important for us to get back and look within ourselves. He that knows his heart, he knows himself. And he that knows himself, he knows he's a Lord. And then, uh, Ashraf, uh, you know, you're looking. Uh, I mean, you sent me that Gujarat uh, history, you know, where Narendra Modi is complicit. I mean, he actually perpetrated the entire, or the mastermind behind uh, the, the, the the Gujarat uh, violence and murder of all Muslims. And then you find out that, uh, you know, with the Hindutva brigade in India, uh, you know, the Muslims are not tolerated, the Christians and uh, the Dalits too are having a, a, a terrible time in India. And on the parallel note, when you look at Palestine, the same story there where, you know, the Zionist states of Israel is giving the Palestinians a, a, a torrid time indeed. And then you find that this unholy alliance between India and Israel because they have a common agenda. Perhaps your thoughts on that, Ashraf? Well, Shabbat, nothing has really changed, right? Um, Islam had enemies from the very first beginning. The Rasul was abused in the most terrible way. He had lost the most precious people around him because of his beliefs. He himself was physically and psychologically tortured. So let's be clear that the opposition has never ever disappeared. It has always been there. We've always been attacked. The problem that we have today, Shafat, is that the news is immediate. You know, if, if, if uh, as, as we've seen, people are killed all over the world, it, it, it's uh, immediately available on your phone or on, on, on the news. The frustration is that we are witnessing our own humiliation. And the obvious difficulty that we have is the lack of our own Sunnah of governance. The Sunnah of governance is clearly the Khalifat. Without the uh, Sunnah of governance, 
we're going to find so-called nationalities oppressed here, there, and everywhere. So we don't have a singular response uh, to that, uh, to to these things. And historically, I mean, if we if we if we consider ourselves, um, the 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 way that justice was was extended throughout the Islamic empire was through central governance. At, at different times, it was different things. It was first the caliphate from Medina, and then uh, it, it spread all over the world. And the one that is within living history would be uh, the Mughal uh, Daulat Empire and the Ottoman Caliphate. So there, there was central authority, and it had governance over each of its not citizens. We were part of an ummah. So that has has resulted in these terrible things happening all over the world because you can't actually respond to it. So you can see that the deliberate insult to the Muslims is, is when these people burn the Quran. But there's two responses to that. Number one, uh, there was a man who who took the what he said was the Torah and he tried to burn it uh, in front of the Israeli embassy in Sweden and the government said no, this is hate speech, etc. So you know that uh, there's hypocrisy there. Now, the possible response to people burning the Quran is A, it is not something new, it has always happened, and B, if you disabuse yourself of the knowledge of the Quran, then you don't know that you're burning the name of Sayyidina Maryam and you're burning your Sayyidina Isa's name. So that is a form of disrespect, including the disrespect for all of the prophets and all of their books, because that is the ultimate and only testimony in writing. The other thing is, you can burn all the books and or throw them into the sea and you try and recreate it and only the Quran can be recreated right down to its last dot. So again, you know, it's a futile exercise, but it's an exercise that uh, people think they can get away with impunity and, uh, you know, the, the insult and, and this and uh, really railing against uh, the Muslims. But remember, they have a problem of capitalism and nationalism, these uh, states, you know, they're saying don't threaten our lifestyle and this is only for us, which is a selfish way of uh, existing. But again, we we need to engage with them and perhaps in those countries, the I, I, I'm not sure what the legal status is there or how you would be able to fight this. But in the occupied territories that you mentioned, like Kashmir and uh, Palestine, they already, you, you know that even uh, taking a case to the Supreme Court is extremely difficult because you're not sure of how the judges would really think. Are they going to think as jurists or are they going to think as nationalists? Now, the only way you can actually overcome this is that, uh, what we touched on earlier on is the Jamaat, you see, where the Jamaat now gets together. I think in Sweden they held um, 
Juma Salah outside the, mm. you know, but, you know, that that is symbolic of the opposition, but it it's not a, a permanent solution because there, there seems to be now, you know, uh, carte blanche to uh, go for the Muslims, you know, whether it's India where they say that or in Palestine, kill the Arab or kill the Muslim, whatever the case is. That kind of song seems to be popular. Now, again, you have to ask yourself, right, who benefits from from all of these things? And why is Islam such a threat? Because the people that, and some of them have been there, the opposition, and they say, you know, I was went, went to bomb the mosque and I became a Muslim when I went in there. Some said I was an Islamophobe and I read the Quran and it changed me. And maybe that is part of what we should be doing. Is again, early on we spoke of taqwa. Um, we spoke about our behavior in public. And I was surprised in Sweden to see certain no-go areas, even for the police. And they said these were North African migrants and they were really terrible. I mean, I did see uh, them attacking reporters and, you know, really behaving violently. So again, we have to be careful about how we interact with the greater community, how we behave. So it, it, I'm, I'm saying it's no excuse for them to actually attack us, but we also have a responsibility of correct behavior and the Jamaat can do that. Uh, good example when there were food shortages in the COVID and uh, water uh, was needed in uh, after the floods, well, the Muslims were there. You know, a good example I always put is gift of the givers. They've won hearts. They've won minds. You know, nobody is Islamophobic towards uh, Imjah Suleiman. In fact, he's hailed as a hero. So again, you are known by your actions and your deeds. Perhaps that's you know, what we can do. Yeah, you know, I give you full marks. And uh, one a very important point you made here was, uh, you know, perhaps those people, Ma'azala, um, they're burning the Quran and all. But uh, maybe we're also culpable in that uh, we haven't given them the message because, you know, these guys are Christians. And we, uh, we could have told them, do you know, in chapter 19, the whole chapter is dedicated to Mother Mary and that Jesus is mentioned more than uh, Prophet Muhammad in the Noble Quran. And perhaps we're failing the world with the message of Islam. Uh, maybe some will uh, tell us, you know, you have become very insular. Um, you know, you are, you're, you're not doing the work that you're supposed to do is to spread this message, not to only uh, a certain individuals, but to the entire world, entire mankind, Ashraf. Well, that's what we made for, Shafat. We have to bring people to Allah. We have to inform them in the best way. We have to speak to them in the correct manner. This is, these are all, these are all commands in the Quran. You know, you have to speak gently. Uh, when the Rasul sent the commanders to the Yemenites, he said to them, "Be gentle." You know, so so, um, uh, you know, we we have to. Basically, Shavat, we can't be full-time capitalists and part-time Muslim. We have to start changing how we see things. We have to start seeing things for their reality. You know, so it's important that 
we understand how existence works and what the purpose is of our existence. So Allah SWT said, I have created men and jinn only to worship me. But now what is worship? Worship is not exclusively in the mosque. That is a form of worship. Remember, even the, the sacrifice of Idul Adha is that it's not the animal, it is that your taqwa is increased. And then we on the doorstep of fasting and fasting increases you in taqwa. So each of the principles, each of the pillars is totally focused on taqwa. Without taqwa, we will have all of these difficulties. And with taqwa, you will have the help of Allah. And the help of Allah is unseen. We saw it at Badr, and you can always call on that example that uh, when, uh, you know, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam threw, it is not he who threw, it is we who threw. That is what Allah says. So the help of Allah from the unseen is always there. We have to access it with good morals, good behavior, charity, feeding the poor, doing the right thing, being conscious of who we are and what we are. And I can promise you and I can assure you, Allah's help is near. I mean, Ashraf, and uh, beautifully said there, Allah's help is uh, near and your taqwa levels, alhamdulillah, when we get into Shaban, uh, you know, Rajab, uh, Shaban, uh, Rajab, Shaban and uh, Ramadan, hey, then you get it really, the spiritual boon that comes with uh, Ramadan and the, you know, the, the month of the Noble Quran. Well, Ashraf, we are uh, discussing this and we say, hey, what topic shall we discuss? And uh, I said, you know, Ashraf, what about uh, the legal repercussions for having multiple passports? And Ashraf told me, hey, you know what, Shafat, I handled a case like that. So, uh, Professor, doctor, uh, senior attorney, Ashraf Isup, I'm sitting back with millions of listeners, and you're going to give us uh, a, a Kalgu Zahri on that case you had. Uh, talk to us about it, Ashraf. Bismillah. So, um, the one that I'm doing is sub I won't touch on that, but I will touch on a reported decision. So, you know, Atul Gupta, Atul Kumar Gupta, versus the Minister of Home Affairs and the Director General. There was a judgment about two weeks ago on a Friday. I, it hasn't come online yet. But background facts, as we know, uh, the Guptas were cited in various state capture commissions. And, um, you know, the, the matters of the Estina dairy is ongoing. Now, Atul Gupta had a passport because he's a SA citizen. Now, a citizen has a right in terms of the constitution to a passport. The citizen also has an ancillary right of freedom of movement, which freedom of movement incorporates entering and leaving the republic. There's a third aspect. A citizen can always call upon the government to assist him or her when they are out of the country. Now, I don't know if you've been following this, but just a side topic, there have been a few deaths in China of citizens or students getting stuck in Cuba 
uh, or students getting stuck indeed in Ukraine, and they were called on the government for help. So the government is obliged in terms of the constitution, not necessarily to give you money, but to intervene on a diplomatic level and if necessary on a legal level. So here's Mr. Gupta sitting wherever he's sitting, either Dubai in India, and as a citizen, his passport now basically comes to an end and he applies for a new passport. And the minister says, no, I'm not giving you the new passport. So Mr. Gupta turns to the courts and he says, look, I'm a South African citizen and I'm entitled to a passport. Without a passport, I'm hamstrung. And the minister argued the following three points. Number one, you're a fugitive from justice. Number two, you have put yourself beyond the jurisdiction of the court. You refuse to come back. And number three, you are implicated in state capture commission. So at the about a year ago, he, he launched an application. I don't know. I think it's a 2019 uh, case number. Be that as it may, uh, three weeks ago, there was a judgment in the Pretoria High Court, and they said, no, we think the minister is correct here. You have placed yourself beyond the jurisdiction of the court. Uh, you're a fugitive from justice, and basically you, uh, you know, you're involved in state capture uh, commissions. Now, Atul Gupta obviously was an um, Indian citizen, but India doesn't allow dual citizenship. So then he's a singular South African citizen. Now, the legal re repercussions then of having multiple passports is exactly this, who do you call upon for assistance? It, at the time of COVID, people were not allowed to travel either back to their countries or officially uh, unless they had a passport, right? Now, recently when the U.S. also withdrew from Afghanistan, only people with U.S. passports uh, or green cards were allowed to leave on those last um, C-93 or C-3s or whatever they call them, those big Hercules um, airplanes. The rest were left, to, uh, left behind on the ground. So there are benefits of having uh, multiple passports but there are legal repercussions as well. In this case, now Mr. Gupta is basically stateless. He's no longer a citizen of India, and he no longer has a South African passport, but his citizenship has not been revoked. Remember, in his case, there were huge questions about how and when he got his citizenship. The erstwhile Minister of Home Affairs um, I think it was Mr. Malushiki Gaba under whose auspices the so-called citizenship was extended or not extended, was asked in Parliament various questions about the citizenship of the Guptas. At one point, there was complete confusion whether they were citizens or not. So you can imagine now, you're sitting uh, abroad, let's say in Dubai, your South African citizenship 
has now not been taken away, but your travel document, which is your legal presence in Dubai, has been taken away. You're no longer a citizen of your country of birth, India. How do you survive? I mean, where do you look to for relief? So those are just one example of the legal repercussion for having multiple passports. The second is, in the crisis, who do you call? In the COVID, you could board a plane and let's say you're a US citizen, you could, you're then readmitted to the US. If you didn't have a US passport and you simply had, uh, let's say, a visa, well, you were not going back to the US. You were going back to your country of origin, which at that time, several countries had closed their borders uh, and you couldn't even, and, and you were stuck abroad. So these are some of the questions that uh, give rise to the question, what are the legal repercussions for having multiple passports? So the singular factor that you can look to is who you're going to call, how you're going to reach diplomatic pr protection, how you're going to get out of a country, let's say suddenly like Ukraine, where the borders were closed and the war was declared. I mean, you and you couldn't leave. And then if you lost your passport, how are you going to identify yourself? So those would be some of the legal repercussions. It's not advisable completely to be obviously, um, you know, there, there are pros and cons. You are, there are certain benefits for holding multiple citizenships. And on the other hand, uh, there are difficulties in that. Um, let's say the British citizens, for example, now that they've left the EU uh, and the price of fuel, I mean, this, you know that the uh, interest rates have gone up. You know, I was wondering how we speak so lightly of interest rates the world over, like the British have gone up to now 4%. The Federal Reserve is also, you know, about to increase and no doubt South Africa will also increase its interest rate. But we speak so lightly of this thing called interest, yet it is, you know, it is the most hated thing because Allah and the Rasul have declared war on it and there's no ceasefire ayat in the Surah Baqarah or anywhere else. But it's so like part of life, you know, that we take it so lightly. So I'm giving an example of where the cost of living now in the UK might be prohibitive because it's gone to 4% and it wasn't 25 basis point, it was 50, you know. Um, and, 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 and so let's say the people are trying to escape, but they only have a UK passport. Now, where do you go? You need a visa for the, U, uh, for the Schengen. You can come to South Africa as a visitor. But then your ultimate move away to a cheaper destination or a more manageable destination or one of the Caribbean islands, you know, um, is curtailed because you, you don't have the benefit of another passport. Here, locally, you could see that a lot of foreigners have the comfort of obviously being dual citizens or at least having residence in this country and the ability to leave it at will because they have another passport. 
South Africans do not have dual citizenship and those that do are taking up residency in Europe and elsewhere. But it comes at a tremendous cost, including migration to Turkey, where you now have to pay $400,000. So, you know, having the ability to leave and, and, and you know, uh, and, and gaining, obviously, uh, Turkish citizenship. But Turkey has also got its, its problems that uh, they have runaway inflation. Uh, price of goods could double overnight and the lira could be devalued, as we've seen overnight. So where do you go and how do you manage these things? Very difficult uh, questions in the long term. But certainly, I believe that, you know, it is beneficial to have more than one citizenship and more than one passport, because you don't know when your circumstances will change. And obviously, one of the benefits of citizenship in the modern world is that you can call upon your government to assist you. Um, so there you have it. Uh, you know, you could, uh, uh, like Snowden, fled to uh, to Russia, and Julian Assange was holed up in the British uh, in the uh, Ecuadorian embassy in uh, Britain. But he's a citizen of another country, and uh, you know you can call upon, in the most extreme cases, for protection from uh, whatever situation you find yourself. But you can go to your country, uh, to your government, and say, "I'm your citizen." protect me. That is how modern day citizenship works, Shafa. Uh, JazakAllah khair for that, uh, Ashraf. And also, you know, Julian Assange, I think they want to extradite him to America. I don't know if he's there and uh, they want to have a trial and I think his country is not doing much for him. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard of this Andrew Tate or maybe they're calling him Abu Tate. He accepted Islam, this big, great influencer. And, you know, he's been uh, jailed in uh, Roma uh, Romania for, you know, trumped off charges. That's what they're saying. But he had nine passports on him. Uh, so uh, is an individual allowed to have so many passports, uh, Ashraf? I don't know what uh, country of origin he comes from, but certainly in South Africa, uh, yeah. dual American. He's an American. American. Yeah. So, so I don't think he was, he had nine different passports. Uh, like, I don't think he was a, he was a national of nine different countries. But it depends on the local jurisdiction on whether you can have more than one passport. Um, remember, passport is uh, the modern document, you know. It's, it, it's not, it, it allowed you after the French Revolution, uh, the ability to cross international borders. I mean, before it was just a scribbled piece of paper by the local magistrate, and that morphed into um, an identity document. I mean, there's some very funny stories of people in the Second World War who were able to uh, master the forgeries and get, get themselves over the border. And then obviously it now became more and more sophisticated where today you have a digital passport with all your details there. Um, in fact, there was a case in Cape Town a year ago where a person uh, was visiting, um, let's say, husband or wife. And uh, I think it was a Venezuelan passport that was not digitally extended, but hand extended because the, uh, um, 
Venezuela didn't have the ability to print a new passport and they were about to uh, deport her and a high court application was brought and she was kept here on the basis that um, she was in a relationship with a South African citizen and it was not her fault that the Venezuelan government uh, didn't extend it, a digital version of the passport. So, yeah, when it comes to Mr. I, whatever they call him, Abdul Tate or Abu Andrew, Tate. Uh, Abu, Abu, yeah. I mean, he seems to have been very outspoken and very clear about that for him, Islam has brought solace and a great relief. He doesn't drink anymore. Uh, but he did predict that because of his views, he'll be taken down, him and his brother. The preliminary evidence seemed to also suggest that um, there was trumped up charges. Uh, there was sufficient um, uh, photographic or video evidence to show that there was no kidnapping or uh, human trafficking. I don't think he's, you know, he's, uh, he would stoop that low. From what I've seen, I don't know what the facts are. But certainly we're waiting to see what the, what the trial will bring. What we're following is that it's unusual to hold a person 30 days in that jurisdiction, it's normally within 24 hours that you can approach the the courts. But he says that, look, it's, he, he's been set up. But let's see how that turns out, uh, Shafan. No, absolutely, uh, Ashraf. I, you know, I really enjoyed uh, in your company. And not always a treat uh, to have you on uh, Legal Talk and Alhamdulillah. Also uh, publicly and on international radio, thank you for being my right hand on the show. I mean, you make a lot of things happen for me. Allah bless you, Allah keep you. And perhaps, you know, you always encourage me to read that Yasin Sharif. And you've, you, you have done something to me. I read it every day, twice in the morning and also in the evening. And it was uh, your coaxing, your coaching that did it. And Alhamdulillah, also thank you for bringing in a lot of uh, spirituality on the show. And, you know, all the other guests that we have, because of your influence on me, uh, a lot of spirituality comes out from them also, Ashraf, and I, th I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Perhaps your parting words before I let you go. Well, I must thank you for those kind words. Um, I, you know, also thank the listeners and your organizers of the radio station for all the efforts they put in. We are just here to serve, and if we can help in any way, we can. One of the ways of doing it is obviously engagement and talking. And if somebody benefits, alhamdulillah, and, uh, you know, continue making dua for the ummah. Of course, the Yasin is a very, very powerful part of the Quran. It's the heart of the Quran. Encourage one and all to continue with it. Remember us in the duas. Remember the ummah. Pray for our safety. Pray for ease in the time of our difficulties. Pray for patience. And really pray for Allah to restore the deen fully. That is my parting words. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khaira, Ashraf Isub, senior attorney. Time for us to go for the Isha Zan and inshallah we will continue after that.